Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. After many years of attending BBC, and just a few preaching here and across the valley, I find it appropriate to dedicate the, the official very first word of my message to you today to Dr. Williams. And you know what this first word is. The first word is um. Now, I ask you and I invite you to join me in a posture of humility, in a posture of sensitivity to God's word. Because I have been convicted and transformed by this passage and passages like it, and I want you to be able to receive the same conviction and the same transformation that I have struggled with. So our passage today is 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already is past sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for the gospel has for this purpose preached been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Now, if I was Peter there, I would have dropped Selah, because that is a mic drop passage. If you have taken any class with Dr. Voorhees or Dr. Williams or Mr. Russell, you'll have seen that word at the beginning, therefore, and you know you have been trained to ask, oh, is this a transition of thought? Is this a shift from one idea to another? And I say congratulations because yes, you're right. There has been a transition of thought. The setting of this letter written by the Apostle Peter is written to communities of likely non-Jewish Christians, and Peter specifies specific groups in there, including Christian women who are married to pagan husbands, and Christian slaves of non-Christian masters, 
who are experiencing suffering, persecution, and accusations. If you remember a few weeks ago, Mr. Faber taught us that Peter commands us to despite any suffering and persecution we receive, we are to be a blessing to those who inflict that very suffering against us. This last week, Michael Ansley taught us Peter's command to live righteous lives despite suffering, fearing God as faithful witnesses, enduring suffering for the sake of good and not evil. And it is from these lessons that we sum up chapter 3 and Peter transitions into where we are today. And the command is to set our minds and lives on the will of God. I'm sorry I'm not a, like, slides kind of preacher. But this is the theme. This is the central idea. This is what I want you to walk away with. To set my mind and life on the will of God. Now, most of you, I believe, are not middle school or high schoolers, and so I think you can take this, and we're not going to fall asleep, we're, we're not going to zone out now, we're going to focus in to hear what he is saying, because this is so relevant for our lives in our time today. The Christians that Peter was speaking to was dealing with persecution, harassment, and ungrounded accusations about them. They had, to so, they had so much to worry about in their minds. The worry of suffering and harassment directed towards the woman by their non-Christian husbands. The same worry of suffering from Christian slaves who will be breaking the societal norm of following their master's gods and receiving suffering from it. And yet Peter directs both us and them in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same purpose. In chapter 3, verse 18, Peter has already described the purpose in the sufferings of Christ. He says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Some of your verses might say, same mind. Same way of thinking, same will, or even intent. But this is the mindset that Peter is calling us and to the Christians in his time to do, is to not focus or worry about persecution, rebellion, or our own desires. But instead, we are to share the same mind of Christ and commit our minds to willingly endure suffering so that our persecutors may know Christ. This is the mind and purpose of Jesus who submitted himself to the Father. 
As Philippians 2.8 says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the same mind that we ought to have. And I invite you to ask yourself with me, am I willing to endure unjust suffering and submit my desires for God's will? The Christians that Peter was addressing were facing very real circumstances and persecution. And yet it was not their circumstances that was the most important aspect of their lives at the time. The most important aspect was their ability to answer the questions, whose desires are more important? Without Jesus submitting to the Father, without obedience and humility, we would not know him. As Trent said in our benediction today, not my will, Lord, but yours. Now, we don't suffer the same circumstances regarding the persecution or harassment that they did in that time. Now we know our reputation. We know that the world does not care or love for us and vehemently disagrees with us. And there are some who think that there will be a time of persecution here in the States. There's others who believe that persecution in the States and oppression has never ended. But that is not the most important question. The question of whether you're, the whether you're able to submit your desires to God is the most important question. Even if it means you will not see the end of systemic racism and oppression in our time. Even if it means that you might have to release your rights for some of you, your guns and your munitions. And for some of us, our rights to teach our children in the home or whether they're forced to go to the public schools. These are not the important questions. They have importance. They have value, but the question we need to ask is, am I willing to endure unjust suffering and submit my desires for God's will so that my persecutor may come to know Christ? And when we answer this question, Yes or no, but especially for those who answer yes, it forces us to ask one more question. Are we living our lives in selfish sin? You see, Peter takes this understanding of the mind of Christ that is set on the will of God, and he takes it to its natural conclusion. He says, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. 
For the time already is past that is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In the mind of Peter, the natural conclusion of someone who has armed themselves with the mind of Christ is that they will go through suffering. They will go through suffering because they will abandon their sin and live like Jesus. Notice that it's not suffering because they looked like the world, like Gentiles, but because they lived and looked like Jesus. They weren't suffering because they had submitted themselves to their own desires, but they submitted themselves to the desires of God, and they looked different. It was noticeable. They stood out in a world that taught themselves, that taught them that you are the most important aspect of your life and of the world. That you need to look after your own wants and desires rather than anything else. I grew up in Seattle. And yes, you can groan. (laughs) If you've ever been to Seattle, you would know that 90% of the time, it is overcast, cold, and wet. It was my favorite season. All year. But when I moved out to Boise, I was surprised that we got four seasons and not one and maybe two on the weekends. (laughs) And while I think Boise could do with some more rain, thank God for today, (laughs) it is better, it is better for seasons to stop and start. And the same is true for us. Many of us are at the end of an important season. The season as a student, as a freshman, as single, as inexperienced. And these are important seasons, but they are not the most important seasons that you have ever ended The most important time you have ever ended, the most important season you have ever stopped is the one in which you sought after sin like it could fulfill the void of knowing Christ. The most important season you have ever started is in the one that we have set our lives to look like Jesus. And unlike Boise or Seattle, Peter makes... And instructs this idea that this season isn't just for a time. This is a season that goes on forever. This is a season where people and you and me have ceased from sin so we can live the rest of our lives in service to God. So the second question we ask ourselves is, are we living our lives in selfish sin? Sin that serves our own desires. Sin that will get in the way of our witness and service to God. 
Sin that makes us look indistinguishable from the rest of the world. Peter's own words is that the time that has been passed has sufficed for that. That time in our lives that we lived like the Gentiles seeking sexual pleasure, drunkenness, and idolatry is over. And notice how all of these sins are serve us in some way. Whether through pleasure, escapism, or worshiping the things that we care about the most. So let's ask ourselves, what is the sin that would prevent us from living a life in service to God's will? And let's put it to death. And when we do that, Peter continues... The person who does not know God sees the man or the woman who puts on the mind of Christ, who has put to death sin in their life, and they will be shocked. He says, in all this, the Gentiles are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Someone who does not live entirely for their own desires, but puts themselves not first, but last, who does not engage in the same manner of selfish sin that they run to, is a foreigner to them. Remember Trent Adams' message. We are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood. We are supposed to look different. And they will judge us in the flesh for it. They will be our source of ridicule, verbal assault, and judgment. That word there is, for malign, is to blaspheme. They are going to judge us by their standards of righteousness because we do not run with them. The Christians at the time would not run into the same cycle of serving what is best for them. And some of them, because of it, would die due to their judgment. But Peter ends this section with a reminder that at the end of the day, everyone will give account to the only one who can judge both the living and the dead. He says, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. Now, if you like Greek at all, I really say you really got to dive in to this passage. It is a difficult passage to translate and to fully understand. And there are two major ways to understand it, whether we're speaking of spiritual regeneration or martyrdom. Quote from Josh Anderson, the third way is of second chance, and of that, he said, in a joking manner, the Mormons were right. (laughs) I have his permission to say that. However, the two major ways that we see this, I believe that it is 
looking towards martyrdom. His goal and desire was to encourage them with the hope at the end of the day. That though they live their lives in suffering and persecution and submitting themselves to God, it is worth it at the end because everyone will give account and everyone, because everyone will give account and those who profess their faith in the lordship of Christ, will not perish in the flesh under the judgment of men, but they will live in the Spirit according to the will of God. So I petition you to spend time this week, to spend time next week and the week after that, and to really wrestle with God asking this question, what will it take to set my mind and my life on God's will and not my own? So that my persecutor can come to know you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the example that you have set. That though we are your persecutors, that it was our sin pinning you to the cross, you love us and you gave your life life for us. Thank you that you were obedient and humble and that you said, not my will, but yours, Father. I pray that we may be a people that live like Jesus does saying the same words even when we encounter persecution. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.